Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is, Why is God Testing Me? Why is God Testing Me? Second Kings... 2, 1 to 3, although we're going to start out in 1 Kings 19 real quick. But uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of you are feeling tested right now, aren't you? A lot of us walking in, worn out, been through a tough year, starting off the new one with a bang, right? I know I have. I got some stories. But, uh, but why is God testing us? I, I, when I went to school, I, a lot of my, our college students are heading back. And, and the thing about college I just hated was all the tests and the exams there was there, I just hate exams anybody here like exams I hated the exams and I, the exam week in high school or or the midterms or or the finals in college so stressful right and high school is bad but college is even worse because there's there's so much stress in college with the exams uh, so stressful especially for somebody like me because my ADD plus my OCD made my teachers MAD uh, at me. It wasn't that I was BAD. Uh, I was just bored. You know, it was hard for me. It is hard for me. It was hard for me. I was bored. It was hard to focus sitting around all day. I was okay for the first class, but then it kept on going. You know, I was already ready to be out in, outside and do something else. And it was hard with, with, for me, and I think most boys can relate to this, it's hard to sit around all day. School is really developed, is really modeled for, for girls, right? I mean, it really is. The studies, the study, no, the studies have showed it. The studies have showed that it's really aimed at girls because girls are able to focus much better than boys. Study after study has come out with this. And, and so, it, and that's why the boys, it's, it's a lot harder because they're more active naturally. And, uh, yeah, study, study after study. I'll talk to you afterward. Study after study. It's, they're like, we've got to figure out a way to model it for the boys too. But, but with my, all my other letters that go along with that, OCD, ADD, all that, made it that much harder for me. And so, it, it would have been great if I could have just worked at my own pace. And I think a lot of people feel that way, boys and girls. Wouldn't it be nice if you could work at your own pace? That's why these charter schools are nice and the, with the computers and in homeschooling. You can really work at your own, your own speed. I would have done much better with that. In fact, the classes that they did let us work at our own speed, I, I flourished in. But, uh, it was just was hard for me in school. I remember in, even in second grade, I never forget, I was, I was really bored and, and I would bring books. I loved to read, loved to read. I just read, read, read all the time. And I would bring books and read them in class. And the teacher would, you know, come by and say, Chucky, I'm, I'm glad you're reading. That's good, but not now. This is math class or something else. So, so then I had to learn how to put my books inside the textbook. And I would hold them there with my book and I'd be really intent on it. And then they'd catch it and my mom would say, your teacher called again, Chucky, and said, you know, she's glad you're reading, but you shouldn't be reading during, you know, this class. You should be reading the textbook, not the other book. And, but I, I, and so they'd take my book away and then I would just go into la-la land and and daydream the days away, you know, just, I would just, just go into a fog, and, uh, and it was crazy, and the, so the teachers, as a result, when I was in uh, elementary school, they thought I was slow, they thought I had some learning challenges, and thought I was very slow, and they would, what, 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 okay, <laughs> he still thinks I'm slow, but anyway, 
I'll race you afterward. But anyway, the, uh, yeah, push-ups. So they, they thought I was slow and because and, and I had no idea what they were. I, did, I was literally, I would just shift into my daydream phase and just daydream the day away. And, oh, the school's over, and I'd get on the bus and go home. And, uh, and, and, but I could still pass the classes. I still was able to pass, but they just thought I was, you know, in a, you know slow. Finally, in fifth grade, they, I'll never forget, they gave these intelligence tests. I don't know what they were called back then, but it's a long time ago, uh, 50 years ago probably. But they gave this test, and, and it was to say what you're capable of doing, you know, how they do these test things. And uh, I'll never forget, the teacher, after, the cla- after we took the test, he came in. His name was, I'll use, he was a football coach. I'll just use his initial, Mr. B. He was tough. He, was, he taught, treated us like we were on the football team. The way he would say, he was just brutal, right? And, and he came in and he, and he says, I got the test results back and it tells me you're a bunch of dummies, you know? You're just a bunch of dummies, you know? I don't even know why I bother teaching a bunch of dummies like you. He was reaming us, just like his football team, right? And uh, back then it was a different time, right? You all remember that. And he goes, hey, but I don't even know why I bother. You're just a bunch of dummies except for Wilson here and one other, my other friend, Eric, the Tom, Wilson and Tom, the only ones I should even bother. They're the only ones with any kind of brains. I'm like, I'm like, what? You know? I was like, what? He goes, they're the only ones who are smart. The rest of you are a bunch of dummies. And I'm like, oh, I guess I am smart. You know? And I went back to reading my book, you know? And, uh, and, and, but after that, I was like, oh, I really shocked. The t- also, the teachers treated me different, looked at me different. You know, they, I shocked them, right? And uh, after I found out I was smart, I started to get better grades. I started to pay a little more attention, get better grades. And uh, I went into middle school and got pretty good grades. But then I got to high school and I drifted back into my fog. Uh, because I, a big part of it was the ADD, OCD thing, but also... I blame the testing system in New York also because New York's testing system, they had a regents system. I don't do that. I don't even they still, you, you know, about the regents, right? It didn't matter what you did all throughout the year, as long as you passed this regents test. It was like a final they gave everybody and every class. So you could fail everything. And if you pass the regents test, you pass the class. You are moved on. And so... That was not really helpful, probably the best thing for me, because uh, I would just kind of focus on that Regents test. I had no problem in history or English because I read so many books, and I liked those classes. I could get A's without trying, right? But, but the classes that you had to keep up in with, like, math and science, uh, you had to stay focused. You have to keep up with day after day after day. And if you didn't, you get buried and they give all these regular tests. Those are the ones I struggled with. The ones that I couldn't read my own book about history and take a test. You know, uh, the, those are the ones I had trouble with. And, uh, I especially had trouble with this one teacher. His name was Mr. P. Right, I'm just going to use his first his initial. Mr. P taught chemistry and physics. Ooh, and he was tough. He was the toughest teacher in our school. And he said right up front, I teach college-level physics and chemistry. And so if you're in my class, which we had to be in this class, you, you are, you're taking a college class. And he was not goofing around. This guy was tough. And we frustrated each other to no end. But we liked each other. I love Mr. B. You love me. But we frustrated each other because he... Felt like I wasn't trying hard enough. Anyway, and I felt like he was pushing us too hard. And you had to keep up in his class or you got buried. He was so tough. And he hated to give points away. 
He only wanted to give tests, and what you did on a test is what you got. But you know how he expected us to do our homework, and, but he wouldn't give us any points for it. And, and, and I'm like, that's not fair. You know, you make us do homework, but there's no points. But if we didn't do it, if he noticed that we didn't do our homework, he would say, okay, turn in your homework now. And then he would take points away. And he would give, he would give points to whoever did it, but, but then he would also dock the ones who didn't have their homework done. And so, you know, he, he didn't like to do that because he had to give some points away. But he also was trying to teach the rest of us a lesson on, well, some of us, a lesson on, on doing our homework. And so this was getting really old for me because I, I didn't want to do my homework and didn't want to keep up and, and, but I was getting buried and, and I, so he would, I, he would notice some days it would only be me without my homework done. And he'd say, oh, turn it all in. And I, oh, I lost more points. I'm already battling to keep above, you know, the passing mark. And so I had to come up with a way to outsmart Mr. P. Which isn't, wasn't easy, but I figured it out. On, I, one day I did my homework. After he had collected it two days in a row, I did my homework, but I stuck it under my book. And I set it there. And I went through the whole class, and he was going through the whole thing, and everybody's answering questions, looking at their homework, and I'm just sitting there like in my fog, because I don't have my homework out. And I'll never forget at the end, he says, okay, now turn in your homework. He gave me a little smiles, right at, looking at, right at me. I said, okay, and I pulled out my homework, walked it up, put it down. You couldn't believe the look on his face. This guy had probably never been outsmarted before. He was a genius, right? You couldn't believe the look on his face. And he never collected homework again that year. I, I, I solved the problem. Solved the problem. Solved the problem. Probably wasn't good for me that I solved that problem because I was really struggling and I finally was just getting, you had to get a 65 to pass. I was just always at the 65, 65, 65. And because you had to pay attention in that class, right? And you had to do your homework. And I was just barely making it. And I'll never forget, he, I went up to him one day and I was really frustrated. I was actually trying a little bit and just couldn't get over, just couldn't get any higher than 65. I said, Mr. P, I'm really having a hard time. And I liked him. He liked me. We were friends. But, frustrated and he and I said I just having trouble with your class hoping that he would give me some hints and help me out you know you know get, get me ahead a little bit he said well I Chuck Chuck I just want to know what let's start with how much do you focus on physics how much time do you spend on your homework how much do you spend studying every day at home with your your physics now I don't, I don't usually lie, but, uh, but I figured I'm going to have to stretch this because I might spend five minutes a day on this class, maybe, studying. On the bus, I got on the bus, I'd open the book for five minutes, and then I'd shut it in five minutes. So, but I'm, I'm going to stretch. I said, ten minutes. I said, I spent at least ten minutes a day on your class, and, and I thought that was a big deal, right? And, and he started to... <laughs> He puts his hand over, he starts to laugh and, and laugh about it. And I was like, he knows I'm lying. He knows I'm lying. He knows I couldn't be spending 10 minutes a day and only be getting a 65. He knows he caught me lying to him. And, and he's like, and he goes, he goes, 10 minutes. I go, I'm going to tell him it's only five. I'm going to tell him it's only five. And not, not even five often. Yeah, but then he, then he goes, you're passing my class on 10 minutes a day? You have to be some kind of genius, you know? I'm like, whoo, I got away with that lie, you know? He goes, you have to be a genius. 
to pass this class. That's impossible to pass my class on 10 minutes. Not, not only that, but not doing homework and not paying attention. But anyway, somehow I did it, right? And, uh, and years later, he's still telling this story in class when he tried to motivate his students to study. He said, I actually had a student one time who told me he was struggling. He was barely passing. He only spending 10 minutes a day. Can you believe that? And my sister was in that class four years later. And she goes, I know that's my brother, Chucky. He goes, oh, oh she was shocked. He goes, oh, no, no, no. It's nobody you know. He fibbed this time, right? He goes, I know it's Chucky. It sounds just like him. Yeah. And so, uh, so he's still telling that story years later. I would zone, and so because of the Regents test, I would zone out all year, then cram that last month to pass the Regents. You talk about stress. Stress. Exam stress. It's hard enough for you to pay attention. But it, to do it that way, and I, but I finally get to college, and I keep telling my kids, you get to college, you can pick most of your classes. It's a whole different thing. I could pick my classes, pick what I like. I did it much, much better. Then I got into seminary and did the Bible and really took a whole nother jump up. Every level of college, I did better and better because I could pick them. But until I got to college and until I started taking classes I wanted, the only thing that kept me going, the only thing that made me keep moving forward at all, the only thing that kept me in the game was testing. I had to be tested. Because without the test, I would have been like completely gone. And God does the same thing with us. He wants to keep us moving forward spiritually and mentally and physically and emotionally. He wants to keep moving us forward. So what does he have to do? He has to test us. He has to test us. And and we don't like being tested in school. We don't like being tested spiritually. We don't like being tested at any time, do we? Who here likes being tested? You're lying. Nobody likes to be tested. All right? Uh, but, but we need to be tested. And we're going to see Elisha go through some testing that's going to uh, connect to us being tested, to each one of us, why we need to be tested. Because we're, we're all naturally, just like I was in school, we're just going to slide through and, you know, coast through. And, and we need to be pushed. We need to be tested, which is what God does. Let's look at this here in first, we're going to start with first Kings 19, but I'm going to pray first. Father, we just thank you for getting us as far as we are. Lord, we, we pray that as we look at these testings that we would see the, the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish and where you're trying to take us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now remember, we already looked at some of Elisha's testings back when we did Chariots of Fire, one, part one, two, and three. We looked at some of those uh, when we were looking at the life of Elijah. We're going to revisit some of them and go a little bit deeper, come at a different angle, and then we're going to hit some new ones. We're actually going to look at seven different tests. Not going to get through all of them today. Seven different tests. Now remember, Elisha means my God is salvation, and it's a picture of us. It's a picture of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's a picture of, okay? And, G- and just Elisha's going to see his tests are a picture of how God tests us, how Jesus tests us to grow us. Some of you have sent me emails on this, to refine us, to prepare us for our, our, his purpose for our life. He prepares us, and ultimately, he's getting us ready for heaven. We're not being tested to get to live on earth forever. He's preparing us, refining us, doing all this to get us ready for heaven. And the first test, I'm going to start off in 1 Kings 19, 
verses 20 and 21, which we actually looked at last week. But we're going to come at a little different angle here. In 1 Kings 19, verse 20, it says this. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elisha, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Now we talked about this a lot last week, but I'm just going to hit on this part of it. I call this the love test. The love test. Do we love God more than anyone or anything? More than anyone and everyone. Do we love God more than everyone else? Will we put... now? Connecting it to our life, will we put Jesus, our Elijah, will we put Jesus over our family and friends, our family, right? We saw last week how Luke 14 says Jesus said we must hate our mother and father, brothers, sisters, wife, children. We must hate them. And, and he clarifies this. I'm going to look at the clarifying verse in Matthew 10, 37, what Jesus is really saying, what he means fully by that. Matthew 10, verse 37 says... Anyone, and this is a parallel passage, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I did an extra verse there, I think. Yeah. So, uh, talking about do we love, he's not saying we shouldn't love our family. Or care for them, we should. But is God number one? We should love and care for our family, but is God number one in our life? That's what he's really asking. Is God number one in our life? I have bad news for you. There's only one way to take this test. Can you guess what it is? We have to lose someone. We all do. We all Sooner or later, lose someone. Welcome to the human race. And that is the test. We will all face it if we haven't already. I have seen many people fail this test. I remember some people here years ago that... I remember one guy in particular, he was here and he lost both of his parents. Boom, boom, right right in a row. He was older. He lost both parents both in a row. And it knocked him for a loop. He He crashed in his faith. He got mad at God. And he has never, he went into a spiritual tailspin, which became a spiritual nosedive, and he has never come out of it to this day. And he was a spiritual leader here years ago. I remember another guy who, in youth group, when I was a youth pastor a few years back, and uh, he, his girlfriend broke up with him. It was his first girlfriend. He was really in love with her. And she broke up with him. And he was one of the leaders in my youth group. And he got mad at God. And he went into a spin and a nosedive. And he's never fully pulled out of that to this day. Done doing okay, but never really fully pulled out of that, out of that nosedive over losing this girl. I've seen many people fail this test and I've seen many people pass this test. Many people here are grieving loss. Think about how many of us have lost 
someone. Many here are, are grieving loss and have passed this stuff, still following God, still with questions, still can't answer all, still sad, but have passed this test. We've lost loved ones. You know I've lost a son. You know that it's heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking. And you talk about wrestling with God. What are you, God, what, why? Do you, what are you doing? But in the end, it really came down to, and for every one of us, do I trust God? Do I love God more than my son? Do I love God more than that person that I've, I, I've lost? We must all pass this test in order to follow Jesus Christ. Do we love God more than we love anyone else? Do we love him more? Will we put God and his call on our life? Will we put God and his call on our life first, no matter what it costs us, no matter who it costs us? And it's not just death. It's living people too, right? It's living people. Does anyone keep us from loving God fully? Does anyone keep us from following God's will or God's word in our life? We, we may be in love with someone, but we know we have to give that person up. We have to give them up. I think of unequally yoked. A lot of times Christians are dating or marry a non-Christian. And the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Very clear that we cannot date or marry someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Very, very clear command in Scripture. And we have to make a decision. If we're yoked, we've allowed that emotional attachment or even more than that. We have to be willing to let go. We have to be willing, we have to be willing to put God first. If they're not a Christian, or even if they're a Christian, they're not committed to Christ. That's still, if we're committed to Christ and they're not, even though they're a Christian, that's still unequally yoked. Or I, I deal with this a lot. People end up getting a divorce and they want to marry someone else. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you have no biblical grounds for that. Sometimes they do, but often they don't. And they still determine to marry someone. And I'm like, you have no biblical grounds to get remarried. If you do that, you are living in a state of adultery. You're choosing to live in adultery. And, and that's, it's not biblical. You, we, you have to make a choice. Do you love God more than you love that person? Who, are, who do you love more? We'll get to more on that later. Uh, second test. Second test. Second Kings. We're now moving on into Second Kings where we're going to be camping out here with Elisha. Second Kings, moving ahead in his life. Uh, right when Elijah's getting ready to be taken up to heaven. We already dealt with this, but I'm coming at it with Elisha's test now. Deeper. Verse... Verses 1 and 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Once again, go back to the chariots of fire, and I did different parts of this test. But today, I want to look at the part of this called the loyalty test. The loyalty test, really a love test, another love test. How deep is our love for Jesus Christ? He, he says, Elijah says, stay here, Elisha. I'm getting ready to go. He, but he's testing the depth of Elisha's love. And Elisha says, no way. I will not leave you. I'm not going anywhere. It reminds us of what 
Ruth said. Remember what Ruth said in Ruth 1, verse 15, where uh, Luke said, Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The love of Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, is a great picture of what I'm talking about. Passing this test urged her to stay. And she says, I, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Where you die, I die. He's, she's not turning back. Do we have this kind of love and loyalty for Jesus Christ? That nothing can keep us from following him. Even Elijah say, Elijah's saying, go back, turn back. Don't keep coming. It reminds me of... Reminds me, I was thinking about of, of, of pets and especially dogs. You ever have a dog where you're like, stay, stay, and you go and they just keep following you, you know, you go. No, go back, turn back, you know, go back. Uh, we, we had lots of dogs on the farm and there's this one dog, Puddles. We call her Puddles, you can guess why. But anyway, uh, she got over that. But anyway, the, she would follow us everywhere and we loved Puddles. She was the sweetest, most wonderful dog, but we could not get her to stay. We'd even get in the car and, or truck, the truck and start driving down the road, you know, and, and she would run along in the field next to the road as far as she could. And she was fast. I mean, we'd get 20 to 25. She was right next to that truck. Fine out, bye puddles, boom, you know. But she would run far down the road. She would follow us everywhere, everywhere. Uh, she would, uh, she, she would, I remember one time the, 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 um, creek flooded. We had a lot of rain. The creek was flooded. I had to go get the cows. The cows were on the other side of the creek. The pasture was cut in half by this creek. It was usually this deep, but it was really deep, flooded. And I'll never forget, I was like about 10 years old. My dad said, go get the cows. And Puddles was right behind me. It's pouring rain. We're all wet. And I'm going out and I get to this creek and there's no way across that. I'm like, Okay, and I'll never forget, I took this running, running jump, and I jumped halfway out across, and I landed up to my chest in this, this creek in the mud, and I started wading across, and, and, and I, all of a sudden I hear this plot behind me, and there's Puddles. She had jumped in, and she was swimming right behind me, you know, right behind me, right, you know, together we got across that creek, and then she chased the cows for me and all that. And she, everything. She used to follow the tractor everywhere. We would drive and, you know, be balling hay or plowing. She'd right behind the tractor. In fact, that's how she died. She was deaf and she was so old and one time she got behind the tractor and, and she wasn't aware. And, and, but you know what? She died happy. She died following the, you know, the, the tractor. I mean, it sounds horrible. It, she, died, she died happy. She was so to her death. She followed us everywhere. It was crazy. Uh, it, and, and I still have that animal magic now. Uh, my cats now follow me everywhere. I... This is all that. Some people see me in my neighborhood, and I'm taking a walk. I'm on my walk, and there's a cat following me. All around the woods. They were, my neighbors joke with me, how do you get cats to follow you everywhere? You know, you have catnip in your pocket. You know, they're always like, you know, they, they follow me. I'm, I'm always like, go back, go back, because there's roads, and, you know, I'm getting far from home. I'm like, go back, go back, go back. But they keep coming. You know, they keep following me. And that's what... Elisha was like with Elijah. He just kept following to the death. He kept following him. Will we pass the loyalty test? Will we follow Jesus wherever he goes? 
Wherever he takes us, whatever it costs us, will we follow Jesus Christ? Will we follow him? My cousin uh, Jimmy, who's a family history buff, he wrote me an email this week about family history. And he's, we're always writing back and forth. And he, listen to what he wrote. He was writing about my great-great-great-great-grandpa. He said, I've been looking at the Dickinson branch. We have several branches on my dad's side. And uh, uh, Sherwoods and Wilsons and Dickinsons. And, but anyway, he says, about 400 years ago in England, we had a great-grandpa, many greats, grandpa, who was burned at the stake in London for not recanting his Christian beliefs. If you know the history... The church in England was apostate at that time, and they persecuted those who truly believed the gospel and followed the gospel. 400 years ago, 1600s, you read the history, you see that it was a lot of it. It wasn't just the Roman Catholic Church that was burning people at the stake in England off and on, but it was the Church of England, which was a, broke off from the Roman Catholic Church for all the wrong reasons, uh, and not spiritual reasons, um, but they, they were burning true Christians at the stake. He said, um, another great-grandpa near the same time was thrown into jail for two years for preaching his Christian faith which was different from the Church of England, which was apostate. While there, his wife, our grandma, died, leaving five or six children. Our grandpa was released from prison if he promised to leave the country, which he did by taking his kids to New England. Another great-grandpa was publicly whipped in Boston, Massachusetts for his Christian beliefs. Remember, these were Puritans. They weren't exactly pure, all of them. The pilgrims, my relatives came over with the pilgrims. Uh, William Bradford, great, 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 great grandpa of mine. They were pilgrims. They weren't Puritans. The Puritans were 50-50. Some were really Christian, some weren't. But they became just as bad as the people that they left. They were the ones who burned the witches and all that. Those were Puritans, not pilgrims. He was whipped in Boston, Massachusetts for his Christian beliefs contrary to the state church at that time. And then he says, this gives you an idea of the Christian heritage we share with our early relatives. Are we willing to follow Jesus Christ no matter what it costs us, who it costs us, are we willing to follow him? This was England. We're not far from that here, are we? In the USA today. The third test, and the last one we'll probably do today, Second Kings 2, verse 3. And Second Kings 2, verse 3... But the, but the, uh, oh, I'm on one. Okay, oh, that's what messed me up. Hold on. The, <laughs> between the tears and glasses, I can't read it. The company of the prophets at Bethel 
came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah replied, but do not speak of that. I call this one the friend test. The friend test. These guys were his friends. His fellow prophets. His allies, supposedly. But what were they really trying to do? They were discouraged. They were trying to talk him out of following Elijah to the end. Any further. Don't you know what's the point? Just give up following him. And they were well-meaning, weren't they? They were well-meaning. They meant well, but they were at cross-purposes with God's call. The test is, will we listen to God's word or human counsel? Human wisdom. What they said was humanly true, right? It was humanly true. But, but so what? That didn't change what Elisha was supposed to do. And so many times the friends can be a real test for us when we're, when we're faced with decisions or following Jesus Christ. Many times I will share God's word with somebody. I'll share God's word, clear teaching. I'll admonish them with it. But they'll come back with me with something like, but all my Christian friends say it's okay. Oh, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I'd already be retired. Or tempted to be retired. All my Christian friends, my Christian counselor, I've heard that many, many times. My Christian counselor said, it's okay. My, my, I, my, I found another pastor or two, talked to another pastor, an evangelical pastor who said it's okay. And I said, well, sorry, I'm just going to stick with the word of God. It's pretty clear here. I'll never forget. I'll give you one example. This woman was previous church, but she stayed in contact with us. And I'll never forget, after I was already doing this church, she wrote and said, Chuck, I need to talk to you. Um, I want to get remarried. I'm divorced, as you know, and I want to get remarried, and I, I need to get your advice on this. So we sat down, we talked, and I said, uh, well, uh, where's your husband? Well, we're divorced. I go, yeah, but where is he? Well, he she, turns out she's at another church, and she fell in love with this guy, and she was being encouraged by all her Christian friends to marry him. But she just didn't have peace, so she checked with me, and I said, I think you should go back to your husband and offer to remarry him, because you shouldn't have. We talked about it, and she had no biblical grounds to divorce. And uh, I said, you need to go back and offer. She said, well, I can't do that. I go, why? Because I know he'll take me back. He's always following me back. I well, then you have one, op- two, one option. Well, two options. You can go back to him or you can remain single. But there's no other marriage allowed biblically. You have to go back to him. And she went away and she came back to me again and said, all my Christian friends are telling me to marry him. And... Uh, I've talked to seven pastors, good, solid pastors. I knew most of them. They all told me, go ahead and marry this guy. It's okay. And, and I, they all have said the same thing. I said, I will never change my opinion because I'm using God's word. And God's word could not be more clear. Go back to your husband or stay single. 
If you marry this man, you will be disciplined. And she finally said, Chuck, don't be mad at me, but I'm going to marry this guy. And she pastor married her. She went to this well-known, famous church. If I said the guy's name, you would most of you have read his books. He's well-known. But he married her. He married her. A year later, she called me and said, Chuck, I should have listened to you. She wrote me a letter, said, please share this. She gave me permission. She said, please share this letter whenever you talk to someone in my shoes. I disobeyed God's word. I know that God is disciplining me. I am living in hell. I married this guy, and it turns out he's a monster. He's an emotionally abusive, meanest man possible. He sold himself as this one guy. But now, but I know why I'm being disciplined. It's because I disobeyed God's word. And, and, I, and I, want you to, I want you to share this letter with anybody you can because I don't want them to make the mistake. I will stay in this marriage because I need to stay in this marriage. This is God's discipline. But, but, it's, and, but that was like 10 years ago now. She's still living in hell on earth. Sooner or later, when we go against God's word, there will be discipline. Now, and I'm probably talking to some people who have made these mistakes. And I tell people, you need to go right to God. You're already married. You already made the mistake. You've gone against God's word. You need to go right to God and repent as a couple. And say, God, we repent of what we did. We sinned to get married. We know the Bible says it wasn't right. And we repent of that. You need to do that together before God. And then God in his grace can bring something good out of the mess we make, right? God's still gracious. But there better be a real repentance. Because it's sin. If God's word clearly tells us to do something or not to do something, do it no matter what they say. No matter what friends and pastors tell you, do it. Follow God's word. And and on, on on the same flip side, if God calls us to do something, and it's confirmed by God's word, and it's confirmed by godly counsel, don't waver. Or listen to anybody, no matter what they say. As long as God's word and God godly counsel has confirmed it, don't listen. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a young man came to me. He was a senior. He was going to go to college. He said, I feel really strongly that to take a year and do missions before I go to college. I just have this strong leading. And, and we talked about it. We prayed about it. He goes, I'm still going to do college, but I just feel like I'm supposed to do missions. And I, and I said, well, it sounds like God's really working in your heart and you've got a purpose. And I said, why not? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I confirmed it and everything. He was all excited. He felt confirmed on this call. And uh, his parents called me about a day later said, how dare you tell our kid not to go to college? He is going to college, no matter what you say. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't tell him not to go to college. I think going to mission field, Mormons do it two years, right? The, the cults can do it. The Christians should be able to do it too, right? And uh, I said, take a year to do missions. Will I make him that much better in college? He goes, well, he's not going. After college, if he decides he still wants to do this crazy thing, that's fine, but he's not going. And they didn't let him go. He never did go. He's still in a spiritual fog to this day. 
He, he went in a, a, what I would call bad spiritual direction in college. Uh, I know another woman years ago who, who said, Chuck, I have to talk to you about something. I told my, my daughter came to me after college, after college and said, I want to go into the mission field. God is calling me into missions. I know I'm supposed to go into missions. But I told her, no, don't go into missions. Because I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want to be far away from her, and I didn't want to lose her. I'm not afraid. She said, I didn't want to lose her. So I really discouraged her so much that she finally let go of that dream. And she moved on with life, and she moved on from her faith, and she never came back. So I guess I really lost her anyways, didn't I? Don't listen to what anybody tells us. Even Christians, if, if God is telling us to, to if, if someone is telling you that you don't need to follow God in some way, somewhere, somehow, tell him what Elisha said. Shut up. That's what he said. Look, what, look at that. He says, he said, uh, he said, uh, he goes, but do not speak of it. Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. I looked it up in the Hebrew and it means shut up. It really does. That's the force of it. That's the force of it. He's telling him, shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Don't mention it. Shut up. But say it spiritually. Say it spiritually. But you know, the apostles, when they were being threatened, they said, we must obey God rather than men. Say it spiritually, but say it, right? Uh, but make sure you don't abuse and misuse it. Your parents tell you to go to bed or, or to do your homework or be home for a curfew. You can't say, I only have to obey God. You know, you can't, no, don't abuse it, right? I think that's enough tests for one day. We're going to finish them next week, maybe. All right, so how are we doing with these tests? Maybe God has us on a final exam week right now. You're being tested right now. Good chance we are, Right? The love test. Do we love God more than anyone? Will we put God and his call on our life first? The loyalty test. Will we follow God wherever he takes us? The friend test. Are we letting anyone or their opinion keep us from following God's will? God's word. So often as Christians, we, we, we let peer pressure hold us back. Whether we're in school or college or 50 years old, there's still that peer pressure holding us back from really living for Jesus Christ. And maybe that's even keeping you from becoming a Christian, from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That pressure, family, friends, you know, family, whatever pressure is keeping us, you, maybe we're allowing the fear of the world and its opinions to keep us from giving our life to Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 8, Luke, Jesus addresses this. In Mark 8 verse 34, he says, Then Jesus called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus. You haven't given your life to Jesus yet because you're afraid of what would my friends say, what would your family say, what would the people know you say at work or at school. But today you're under the Holy Spirit's conviction and today is the day of salvation for you. I'm going to put Jesus first. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. A simple prayer of faith that will have huge implications. God, please forgive me. For everything I've ever done against your word and your will, I repent of that. Please forgive me. I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me, who rose from the dead for me, I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, your life will never be the same. It's not your life anymore. It's not our life. We belong to Jesus Christ. If you have taken that step of faith today, I want to encourage you to let somebody know before you walk out the doors today. Maybe you're with a friend or family member. Maybe you fill out the card. Grab me and tell me. Tell somebody before you walk out today so that we can encourage you and be excited for you. For those of us who already put our faith in Jesus Christ, how is the Holy Spirit convicting us? Which test are we facing? The love test, the loyalty test, the friend test, which test are we facing? that we need to pass before we can move forward spiritually into God's purpose for our life? Will we surrender today? Father, I pray for each one of us that as we keep, as you keep testing us, 
that we would see these as a chance to move forward spiritually, to be refined and purified, made spotless until the time of the end. We pray that in Jesus' name.